witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is a spirit creature, a super angel, the first creation of Jehovah God, who prior to coming to earth as a man, existed in heaven as Michael the Archangel. Jesus started out originally as the Logos. Or Michael the Archangel. Who then came to earth as the virgin-born son of Mary. He was a perfect, sinless man. But he was only a man, devoid of all divinity. Jesus walked the earth as a man, becoming the Christ only when he was baptized. Jehovah's Witnesses hold the cross in contempt, feeling that it is nothing more than a pagan symbol used by apostate Christendom. Instead, they teach that at the completion of his ministry, Jesus died, not on the cross, but on an upright stake. Christ's body was then laid in a tomb where it was disintegrated by God, totally destroyed forever. Jesus was then recreated by the Father. Before going to heaven, he materialized in different bodies on different occasions to convince his disciples and others that he had really been resurrected. Jesus returned to his Father in heaven where once again, he became Michael the Archangel. He will never again be seen on the earth in visible form, but instead rules invisibly from the heavens. When he executes judgment over the world at Armageddon, he will destroy all but the faithful Jehovah's Witnesses. Michael, who will always remain invisible to those on earth and can be seen only by the 144,000 select Jehovah's Witnesses who rule with him from heaven. All right, here it comes. the Bible Belt, the sordid confessions of two men with nothing in common but an accent. I am James. And I am Matt. And we are once again welcoming onto the show our very good friend, Mr. Alex Cook. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. I will pull out a Bowie knife and gut you like a goddamn fish, Alex. <laughs> Is that also something I'm supposed to say, or...? That, that's his way of showing love. Don't worry. What's that, Matt? Huh? Nothing? I, I love you. You can't see it, but I'm blinking SOS right now. 
<laughs> but because of that and a few other things, this is actually the season finale of Below the Bible Belt. What? I know, right? It's fucking shocking, isn't it? Summer sojourn is what I like to call it. Summer vacation. Summer vacation. Summer vacation. And then we have to work at Good Burger. <laughs> and then that all uh, culminates when we come back and do Summer Loving together. Uh, you joke, but I'm calling it right now. That's how we're opening the next episode. <laughs> in three months, because that's going to be the off season. I just like how I'm brought, being brought in as like the last minute dramatic reveal. You're the closer. I'm like the overarching villain that you two have been working towards to get to, finally. I'm the Damien the man, Dark of this. The man behind the scenes. I knew it. Like, he runs the belt. Uh, it's actually uh, most advantageous that you chose this episode uh, to make your next appearance. And by chose, I mean I asked you to be on the show. Because yesterday, my store was visited by Batman. Oh, that's right. All I'm going to say is, you can't say I was there... But not there. Look, I don't have an alibi is what I'm saying. I, I may have very well been the man behind the mask. Okay, a little backstory on this. A couple of days ago, uh, I was at work uh, walking to the register to pay for my lunch. And all of a sudden, speeding towards me, I saw a strikingly beautiful woman wearing a 100% comic-accurate Poison Ivy costume. <laughs> With, like, the red hair and everything. I don't even think it was a wig. I think she just dyed her hair. And she is speeding towards me. And in the split second I have to do something before she passes by me, all my brain can manage to do is give an awkward thumbs up. Like, <laughs> And in the split second she has before she passes me, all her brain can manage is, thank you! And she speeds past me. I know it's not probably would happen, but I like to think awkward thumbs up. I think of the thumbs up from Batman Forever, because that would be very uh, appropriate, given the subject matter. I wish my thumbs up had had that much confidence. <laughs> but I turned around to see what the hurry was, and she wa- runs up to register, because she apparently was doing the time-honored grocery tr- tradition of, okay, 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 let me get one more thing, I'll be right back. Oh my god. Of course, it makes sense that she's a bad guy. <laughs> and she was there with her best friend, Harley Quinn. And Harley was, at that moment, arguing with her boyfriend, who was just a regular dude in plain clothes, about the price of popcorn chicken. And that may be my favorite memory of this place. Let me answer this. So you obviously had a stroke, right? What's the explanation for people in grown women in costume? Hanging around Mobile, Alabama. It's like whenever I had the flu a couple of years ago, and I thought I hallucinated that little person plotting a murder. <laughs> but no, this is actually uh, Mobicon week in the greater Alabama area. See, every year we've had uh, the annual Mobicon convention in downtown Mobile, and it gets a little bigger every year. And apparently this year it's gotten so big that a lot of people have been passing through Sims. <laughs> I guess, like, just in costume, like, on a sojourn to Mobicon. So we've gotten a handful of people in costumes just picking up fried chicken and shit. Question, have have you ever personally been there? No. I was really disappointed because I kind of wanted to go this year, but I completely forgot about it until I saw those girls. I was like, oh, yeah, it's Mobicon week, isn't it? Damn it. Do you you know much about it? Like, who, who, were there any special guests, like, you know, some... Support an actor in like some sci-fi show. This usually seems to be the course for like the smaller conventions like that, you know. 
Uh, I think the biggest guest they've ever had was a couple of years ago. They had Robert Picardo, who played the holographic doctor on Star oh. Trek Voyager. That's not too bad. Again, like I said, I assume it's a smaller conference. Most times, there's probably guys who were like, like, you know, was a red shirt Star Trek, like almost 50 years ago. I should add, Robert Picardo had to leave at the last moment, so he did not make his appearance at Mobicon. Ugh. What is so we, Mobicon will forever be the convention that nearly got Robert Picardo. <laughs> but as amazing as that was, uh, it was outdone the next day where. I was walking through my department, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see a figure just cross across the nearby aisle. I turn and look, and I see a very tall man in a cheap Halloween Batman costume (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with, like, a light goatee raiding the $5 bin with his mom. (laughs) And for a split second, I think, Alex. (laughs) Okay, now, here's here's the thing. I am very tall. I do have a light goatee. I can't really make a case that I wasn't there. I, <laughs> I mean, it has all the Alex uh, code words. $5 I mean, being mom, Batman, Walmart. Walmart. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have speculated many times that our Walmarts are actually the Walmarts on the edge of forever, and they just... Oh, there's only one Walmart. Yeah, it's a <laughs> singular place, so... I could have easily just been there that day and just been in the middle of a shopping run and James finally encountered me. But encountered me in my most pure form, which is wearing a cheap Halloween Batman costume. It's like on Hannibal, whenever Will sees uh, the Wendigo form of Hannibal. It's like, that's (laughs) that's your true form, Alex. And you actually have a picture of this. I do. This will be the image for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And it's on my appearance, so it could not be more fitting. If you even tried. It's like the universe knew this episode was coming up. It was perfect. And what I can't stress enough was how casual this dude was. Like, he was just shopping with his mom, dressed as Batman. It was like a walking Alex joke. I could not believe it. I had to duck into another aisle to stop from laughing my ass off. And I love the escalation that we have seen on this show of people I've ran into turning corners at Walmart. I've met prophets, wizards, monks, shamans, a chateau version of me who tried to seduce me with a free automobile. And finally, I have met Batman. I can leave now. I feel like you're playing like retail bingo. You just you know, lined it up all the way down. And let's not forget the harrowing encounter you have with the Easter Bunny. And- <laughs> That's true. I met the yes. Easter Bunny. <laughs> Got my ta- photo taken with her. Then I met Batman. <laughs> <laughs> After meeting Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy briefly. Well, that's what I could not believe. What were the odds? Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy appear the next day. Batman's hot on the trail. <laughs> you know, the most amazing joke to me in private when this was all going down, which is that he was there searching for them. <laughs> It's like, I'm sorry, you're a day late and a dollar short, Batman. I think the trail's gone cold. It was following the Riddler's clues. I just wanted to confront him and be like, Batman, you're here chasing after Poison Ivy and Harley? Um, yes. He hides the beer keg behind him. <laughs> Here's, I would have done a step better. I would have, If I were you in this scenario, I would have gone up to him, said Taco Bell, and seen what his face did. Why did you say that restaurant? <laughs> it's his favorite Batman. <laughs> and then you decide not to kill me. <laughs> I promise you, you will eat 
Taco Bell again. <laughs> and then I kill a Russian man for a burrito. <laughs> so that's what you've been doing for the past few weeks. But um, I should say, like within five minutes, his attempts at living an ordinary life were shattered when everyone wanted a photograph of him. <laughs> it's like whenever Elvis would go anywhere and it would all just shut down after a few minutes. But I should say the dude was very gracious. He took a bunch of photos with kids. He, he was a good Batman. He didn't stab anybody. And his mom was very proud of him. It's very sad that the uh, yardstick for Batmans now is he didn't stab anybody, but it's 2016, and there you go. Well, not only that, but it's Batman. It could have been Batman of Earth 2, or Batman of Earth 3, or Flashpoint Batman. You just you never know which Batman you're going to find in the Walmart $5 bin. It would have been hilarious if he was rooting around there and picked up like one of the X-Men motion comics we have in there. Like, oh, they have extremists. But I, I do have to say, like, the whole Batman thing aside, hearing you tell the tale of the Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy thing made me have a serious moment of self-realization where I was like, okay, if that happened to me, like, even as briefly as it did to you, I would have never left Walmart. <laughs> I would have sold me on that place forever. <laughs> I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that's the happiest memory I have of this job after three years. Also, I should point out, what I loved was the difference between the two. The Harley Quinn was just kind of wearing the spandex Harley onesie with, you know, pigtails and the makeup. The Poison Ivy was wearing a fucking luscious, painstakingly crafted, like, Batman the Animated Series Poison Ivy outfit with a red cape and hood. So it's entirely possible she was cosplaying as Batman 89 Poison Ivy. I, I just love, like, the differentiating scale that that has. It's like, okay, here's meticulously crafted uh, Poison Ivy, there's middle-of-the-road Harley, and then there's just Kmart Batman. <laughs> I wouldn't even say Kmart. Like, this was, like, the, I think I owned this costume in the early <laughs> I did, like, I, I, no joke, that was something else I was going to bring up, is that, like, you made the joke of that being me, and I thought to myself, like, when I was looking at the picture... I'm pretty sure I legitimately did have that costume at some point. Oh, you have a much better cowl. Like, this was just foam. It, it looks like, like, it doesn't... It, you know that scene in The Killing Joke where uh, the Joker pulls down <laughs> Batman's cowl? It, it looks like that's happening with him, but... Oh, he looks like serial Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, don't compare him to that. That's, like, that's the lowest on the totem pole imaginable. I do wonder if anybody ever cosplays as tired, out-of-shape serial Batman. I, I will tell you this right now, if nobody ever has, and I doubt that because, I mean, I've seen people cosplay as Batman variants that have appeared for half an issue and then never seen again. If I ever get the chance to get into cosplaying, I will totally go all out and play and do racist serial Batman. And I will be your Robin. Seriously, if anyone at home has never watched the Batman serials, I recommend I don't recommend watching them. <laughs> yeah, well, but okay. they're they're a hell of a thing. Riff Tracks did a really great series on them. I recommend watching that. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Batman and crazy people, uh, before we signed on, you were telling us, Matt, that you had had a development in the ongoing saga of Caitlin and her moped. Yes, Scooter Gate is what I think we were calling it last time. Actually, it's about ethics and lawnmower racing. <laughs> I think the last time I left it off was that she couldn't get it to crank, I think, right? 
I believe so. Well, after she can't get it to work, she takes it, our buddy Arnie. Arnie didn't text back because, you know, that's what you do when you sell someone a broken hunk <laughs> of junk on Craigslist. You don't answer them back when they won't help with the money back. No one has ever maintained an identity after a Craigslist sale. That's what people get erased for. Like, Robert Forrester just picks you up in that vacuum cleaner repair van, and you're never seen again. Goodbye, couch. I like to think that that's what, after Arnie got that $100, he's like, this is it. This is the money I need to start over again somewhere. (laughs) He's in Chile right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, he's in a beach in South America somewhere. He committed the perfect crime. (laughs) Well, we did did hint that that moped was going to be full of drugs, so it's entirely possible. Um, But I took it to... An expert, or the closest thing my family has to an expert. Uh, my grandfather. Uh, who Wait, is he like your Q? Grandpappy J? Uh, he's the one who I think I mentioned before. The uh, the stick-wielding one. <laughs> he mastered the tools in your family. Um, but yeah, you know, he spent like 30 years uh, at the mill in town working on machines. Like, you know, again, it was spinners and stuff like that. But, you know, he knows his way around machine work, especially engines. And I figured... He, you know, with a moped being a moped, he'd, he'd know a little something. Uh, I took it up there to his house, and he looked at it, tried to work on it for about a week. Finally, I went up there, and he gave me the prognosis. And the first thing he said to me was so appropriate. He said, I think this thing, someone got this off the back of a truck, is what he said. It looks like it fell off the back of a truck. I was like, you have, like, knowing these people, you have no idea how close you are to that assessment. It was missing stuff. It was missing, like, an air filter. It was missing, like, a gear shift cover it was all the stuff that it wouldn't run you know that i think i'm pretty sure while we were there they they hooked it up to where it could just temporarily run for that five minutes so we'll put out a gas pass it was the demo model yeah so so we're clear you're telling me that mr silverback does not run a legitimate operation (laughs) he apparently does not and when you hear Uh, a name like silverback you expect quality so um i took it back down to her and I told her, you know, she's all right. Well, I'm trying to send my message. This is at this point, it's been a month almost since she'd bought it. She's like, all right, I'm gonna send my message again and try to call. No calls, no returns anymore. So she just ended up writing off. She's like, whatever. I try to sell it for parts. Well, last early this month, she says I'm talking to another guy on Craigslist. Like, oh no. Uh, this time she got a scooter off Craigslist. Not, not a moped, a scooter. It's like a, a little thing that where it's got like two, two wheels. It's essentially like a razor scooter with a lawnmower engine attached to it. Um, and it, it goes pretty fast. It's maybe about 20, 30 miles an hour. Yeah. She bought that for a hundred dollars. Uh, she's like, all right, I got a deal for this because the guy said the throttle sticks. So I was like, huh, okay. And I wrote it and it was, I could feel it kind of getting away from me at times. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to say anything because you say something and it seems like that's going to uh, make her want to uh, do it that much more. If I say, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm like, well, I'm doing it now. I'm going to buy even more things on Craigslist. I've got to say, I, I think it's a little unhealthy that Caitlin is trying to solve her Craigslist problems with more Craigslist. It's like a gambler that's trying to, <laughs> to fix their gambling problem with more gambling. What's it called? Uh, is it called the lost call, lost cost fallacy? I think. I believe so. Where they're like, you know, we're so far in now, we have to make it stand for something. So that was a Saturday that I, you know, she went that Friday, got the scooter, and I looked at it Saturday, wrote on it, and 
I'm at work sun- that next day, that Sunday, and I get a text message. It's like, so, I broke my ankle. Like, what? <laughs> Turns out that, that afternoon, she hit a, some loose sand on that, mo- on that scooter and wiped out. Oh, God. And broke her ankle. <laughs> that's what, like, that's my whole, like, she said, she, first she said, I broke my ankle. I was like, what? What, what happened? And as I was waiting for a pause, I was like, that goddamn scooter, it better not be that goddamn scooter. She's like, I fell off, I fell off the scooter. I'm like, shit. I will take a crowbar to that thing. I will wreak vengeance <laughs> in your name. I just imagine you standing over her hospital bed saying, I'm going to make this right. I'm coming after Mr. Silverback. Here's the thing, <laughs> the thing though. I've debated on whether I should tell the story because I'm like one of two people who know. Like she told the people at work and stuff that she fell, just fell, like you know, and broke her ankle that way. Like she slipped on some. She said she slipped on loose sand and broke her ankle that way instead of she was on the scooter. The, as far as I know, the scooter's still in the trunk of her car. She folded it up and left it there to die. And that's why I told, like a couple weeks ago. I said, look, if you want me to get rid of it, I can go out somewhere. And either I can either dig a ditch mob style, or we can do. You can like, put it out of its misery. We can do like White Fang style, where I just throw it out. Go, get on, <laughs> get on, be with your own kind. <laughs> what I what I want to know is like in the time that she's been, you know, without a proper ankle. Uh-huh. Um, has she bought like five more of these, like just no. in her off time? Like, no, she, she bought a new ankle on Craigslist. It's a <laughs> sickness. It's it's rusty. It doesn't work just right. But um, sometimes it wants to get away from you. She uh, but yeah, it's, she got a fractured ankle. Um, I think it's why why isn't she telling people she was on the scooter? Um, was she forbidden? No, she didn't want to let like she mostly it's her roommate because her roommate uh, roommate's nice. She's a sweet girl. Um, but she can be kind of like like a mom or sometimes you know towards her. She doesn't want everyone worrying about her and her fancy motorcycles. Yes. Um, and this actually brings the problem with this, with her breaking her ankle, is that this happened two weeks before something she was supposed to be in. Because I think you, I know Alex knows this, but I don't know if you know this, James, but she got cast and was in a musical. I know she had done some theater work. I didn't know she had anything going right now. Yeah, I, I think when last time we talked about Matilda, I said I was going to get around to it, but I forgot. But back in February, she got cast in uh, a local production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Whoa, classy. Uh, yes. A uh, small role. She's just a secretary. She's a couple steps above ensemble. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, she's a tree. <laughs> well, good for her. But that's what, like, maybe uh, she'll get over that sh- stage right one day. But yeah, I was like, well, with her ankle broke, you know, what's that going to do for her, you know, on the show and stuff, you know? And she's still in the show as a tree. <laughs> they actually, um, just a couple week, couple of nights ago, Friday night was the uh, opening uh, of the show, and I was there. I took that day off work and came, and um, she did great, wonderful. She couldn't be in the dance numbers for obvious reasons, uh, but she. I kind of got scared at the very end. Like, she had a cane, which was awesome, you know. It's like I'm dating Gandalf. That's what, like, when she showed me the cane last week, I was like, da 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 Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. It's like, you're an idiot. The Michigan hop. But, um, yeah, she had the cane, and she she didn't have the boot. She had a brace on, on her ankle. Well, at the end of the show, like, her character has a big, like, solo, the last number. And I'm watching and she throws the cane aside and actually starts moving and running. And she's like, oh, my God, you know, because I know she's got a broke ankle. Like, oh, God, please don't fall. Please don't fall. I don't want to 
see this. I don't want you to get hurt. See this. But it come out all right. And then afterwards, I was like, what the fuck was that? He's like, yeah, that's why I didn't want anybody I know coming at least this first week. They would flip the fuck out. Uh, that's impressive. She went uh, Super Bowl quarterback with it and played through the pain. Exactly. Um, I wasn't able to go Saturday night or today because of work, but I'm gonna try to go. The they've got two more week, two more runs. They you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They've got this this coming week and the next week. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a great show. There, um, the little boy. I call him a little boy because he's in like high school. Who was the lead of the show? A uh, little gay boy, and I say that is he's openly gay, but he is so adorable. And that's what I told him when I when I uh, met him after the show. I was like, Caitlin said you were adorable, but I thought she was just you know over exaggerated. She tends to do that, but you were a fucking adorable kid. Just pinched his cheeks and said, "You are the most adorable little gay child I've ever seen." <laughs> I have a name, you know. No, you don't, gay child. Be free, gay child. Go frolic. Do jazz hands. And then you let him loose to be with his kind, like the scooter. <laughs> Go! I th- oh, no, I can't throw rocks at him. That'd be a hate crime. You you just give him a little loot, and he goes on his way. But yeah, that's what, uh, like I said, I think she's cursed when it comes to the idea of scooters. Maybe she should stick to cars. The weird place I expected the story to go was that you would eventually see, and then the scooter rode in on its own <laughs> and tried to attack her. It pulled out a gun and shot her in the throat. God, no, Caitlin. <laughs> Mr. Silverback, you bastard. <laughs> and thus an epic rivalry was born. Forget it, Matt. It's Carolina. <laughs> you don't piss off the Clearwater Mafia and leave the tale about it. Um, but yeah, this, like I said, I think it's just, uh, maybe stick to uh, four-wheel transportation for now. I, although, I should, I should have said cars, and now she's going to want to buy a four-wheeler. She comes in on a goddamn dune buggy. <laughs> Being in dune buggies immediately makes you the victim of Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> You're suddenly transporting the most valuable diamond in the world. You want an adventure. This is an adventure. I just want to go home. You just know that with her Craigslist addiction, that eventually you're going to find yourself like at 3 a.m. searching for a free couch. As long as I don't get it from Arnie or Mr. Silverback. You, you think it's going to end with a couch. You're going to wake up one day and find a new roommate there. Ellen, where did he come from? Craigslist. He's German. Uh, but yeah, that was... Hopefully that's the end of the saga. I will have more updates on Scooter Madness <laughs> as they develop. Uh, speaking of the adventures of Matt, uh, you've been doing some more journalisting lately, haven't you? I forgot. That's right. We, oh, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to forget it. Oh my god, it's amazing, guys. This is so amazing. You you've dropped some hints about that, and I am I, I've been dying for you to chronicle this on the podcast. Oh my god, yes. Uh, one of my assignments, which I got to bring up. I I'm pissed off at my publishers because they owe me right now two hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> You're still pro bono interviewing. Bullshit. You were like the Mother Teresa of journalism. I guess I you call it I call it sucker. I'm a sucker, but um, but no um, I got an assignment. There's a blues festival coming to uh, the area at the beginning of July, and I got an assignment to uh, interview these three blues musicians, all from different backgrounds, all with different levels of experience. Um, because they're traveling, I talked to them on the phone. Uh, all of them except for one, which. I hate, and I'll, I'll explain why. So the the two that I talked to, uh, one was named Vanessa Collier, and the other one was named Bruce Katz. Vanessa Collier, she 
sweet. She's a young lady. Uh, just got her start. She's a saxophonist. Um, cues a button. I listen to her music on the internet. It's great. She's a good musician and singer. Her so far her first album was called Keep It Sexy. Oh yeah. Very point. I feel like that would be worthy of like Duke uh, Silver. You know, <laughs> keeping it sexy with Duke Silver. Um, but yeah, I talked to her for a little bit. Uh, she, she was great. Uh, Bruce Katz was a good interview. He, um, he's a pianist who has played like the Allman Brothers band over the years. Uh, you name it, he's pretty much played with them. Uh, I looked at his picture and it's hilarious because he looks like an old grandma. I remember when you showed me a photo of this guy for the first time, all I could think was Jewish Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> You're right. Uh, bats aren't kosher though. But the best of those, I, 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 I talked to or did a profile on was this guy named Charlie Sales. And you both saw the photo of Charlie Sales. <laughs> and it is amazing. He looks like you'd imagine a guy who's been performing in blues for 40 plus years as a harmonica player. So yeah, get out of there. He has one eye. He has an eye patch. Um, and just, uh, so incredible. Like, uh, I, he, he was the one that took the longest to set the interview for. By the time he finally got in touch with me about doing a phone interview, I was past my deadline. I couldn't use it. And I hated that because as I did research on him, this guy is amazing. He's like the closest thing to like a punk rock blues musician that you could get. I will um, say before you go any further, Alex, am I the only one who thought Matt was going to say, I waited so long he lost the other eye? <laughs> Just no, me. but now that you mention it, that was in the realm of possibility. Um, you never know. I mean, you, you take your house for granted. He's proof of that, that you don't realize what you got to the gone. But um, no, his story is just incredible. Like, he was a Vietnam veteran. He first heard like blues and harmonica stuff while he was in Vietnam. He got back home stateside. Uh, taught himself how to play harmonica, was a street performer for years. He lost his eye fighting racists in Philadelphia. Like, a group of white men started calling him, like, the N-word and stuff, and he fought them back, <laughs> beat him up, and lost his eye in the process. Um, Damn. He's battled drug abuse um, over the years. He's been off and on. He's known he's had a reputation. I think he's calm now as he's gotten older, but he, he's had this reputation of being real competitive with fellow band members and even the audience if they're not performing to his level. you know. Or he's he, not he goes Dave stuff. Chappelle on them. He just refuses to jazz. And it's just... I mean, his life was just something that I wish I could have talked to him about. You know, he's 68 now, but like he 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 went he spent time in jail. He played at the White House for Jimmy Carter. You know, he's played in Europe, uh, in Asia over the years because I found a fascinating interview that someone did with him like in 2011 uh, when he was performing in Shanghai. Just. <laughs> I just I was absolutely surprised because when I showed you those pictures, I was kind of oh, kind of like you know just, oh this is goofy this guy, but the more I read about him, the more I was like oh my god he's a badass. Well, you be my adopted daddy. <laughs> I just realized, um, and this is completely kind of unrelated to that, but you know there was a recent film release uh, by Marvel Studios, Captain America: Civil War, and there's a certain character who's not in that movie. You're right. <laughs> what if Nick Fury took on just a side career as a saxophonist and harmonica player? Here's the thing. Which one was it? One of you two made the joke about calling him Nick Fury, agent of soul. Yes. <laughs> Little does he know that the jazz scene has secretly been infiltrated 
by Ska. <laughs> Ruin one band, two more shall take its place. No doubt. <laughs> I, I need to look it up. I want to see him perform. I really do. Because I don't... Oh, his first night in the performance is my birthday, Thursday, July 7th. That would be the best birthday present to myself. <laughs> Getting to see him perform. Do you think you could score some like free tickets or something with your uh, with your journalistic clout? Maybe that press pass in your hat. Maybe I have to. I need to look into that. Uh, I just get the image of you like leaving articles about this dude around the house like, for <laughs> for Caitlin to see, like a little kid leaving the Toys R Us catalog around. Like, Matt, why are you suddenly interested in this elderly blues man? Well, I don't know. No reason. What's you call it when I talked to Vanessa Collier? I was like, you should come to the show. I'm like, I'd like to. I don't know. Like, I'm supposed to be working that night if, if I keep my schedule. But, I, I mean, I'd like, I'd like to see her, too. Like, Bruce Katz, he seemed all right. But I don't know if I like his type of music. And I hate saying that, it, you know. But it's just jam. I don't like – like, he does jam band stuff. And I don't like jam band stuff, really. Cause it's just – there's no structure to it, damn it. The I need the verse, the bridge, the chorus, verse two, uh, bridge, chorus. That's what I need my structure. Stop stifling his artistic integrity. You don't know jazz, man. But uh, but yeah, I'm theoretically I'm supposed to get paid for that. <laughs> so again, I, uh, your paycheck is like jazz. Who knows where it's gonna go? <laughs> You're right. I work. Apparently, I work for the world's first jam magazine. They do what they feel and pay people when they want. Yeah. I just feel like your boss is like J. Jonah Jameson. Like he, he says he'll send you a package of Christmas meat. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's what I found out a couple months ago when I was playing. Like uh, one of the guys my mom works with, he's like a graphic designer, and he used to work for the newspaper too. And he said, "Yeah, they're bad about not paying uh, freelance work and stuff." I think the only reason the regular reporters get paid is because they see him every day. <laughs> they're like, "Hey." I need our paychecks now. Like, okay, okay, you know. Well, clearly you need to start living under the stairs of that place like Harry Potter. <laughs> it's like, who, who is that crazed old man with a beard? Oh, that's crazy old Matty Nice. <laughs> he moved in here 40 years ago. <laughs> the hopes that they'd pay him. and He keeps claiming that we owe him money, but he keeps doing all work for us. It's weird. Like, he claims we owe him like $20,000. What a weirdo. Um, actually, they actually bringing up work makes me think about something else because I think this is the last thing I mentioned. Tuesday, I'm supposed to start another job in addition to working at Dollar General on me. So I'm going to keep that job. And so, your freelance career. And this show. Let's not forget well, your career in broadcasting. This show is like, you know, again, James, thankfully, James does all the work. Um, again, I think that's sort of the, the upside of being with James. He abuses me, but he does all the work. Oh, you're like Larry the Cable Guy. You can just kind of walk in on a Sunday night, say, "Yeah, get her done," then collect your paycheck. <laughs> uh, yeah, you you at least pay me, supposed to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm starting a job. Um, I don't know how long it's gonna last, and I'll explain in a second. Well, I don't know how long it's gonna last. Um, Tuesday with Hertz, the rental car company. My official job title is um, part-time transporter. Oh, God, you're running the official Matt cab? <laughs> I'm going to be a wheel man for Hertz. Matt, what is your obsession with having the most, like, journeyman employment <laughs> possible? Like, are you going to work on a ferry next? Here's the, th- here's the thing, James. Um, if, if only I could get paid for being a hobo. 
But uh, that's pretty much where you're headed. <laughs> I cannot ride the rails and write a book about it. Um, Anything I can do to one day become my own tall tale, I'll do it. I will kick a blue ox in the fucking balls. But yeah, I, I applied for this job a couple weeks ago. Um, and it's been that long of a hiring process, like, because I'm going through a corporation. But um, yeah, I'll be working for Hertz as a driver. Um, presumably from the way it talks, um, uh, it's not gonna be that romantic, like the way you're gussing it up, James. <laughs> with my, <laughs> with my rose-tinted fantasies about the Hertz rent-a-car business. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mostly I'm gonna be taking care of cars, I'll be driving them places, sure, but I'll be cleaning them as well, getting them ready for, uh, presentation and stuff and blah, blah, blah. Um, the only thing that worries me about the job is that, um, it's only gonna be three days a week. Uh, and I'm getting paid roughly uh, about 50 cents more than minimum wage, uh, which is significantly less than I'm getting paid right now at DG. Um, the dig. But I, but I am I'm taking it mostly for the you know for the life experience. That's pretty much <laughs> the life experience why. of working at Hertz. Yeah, well, you know, just to say, yeah, just try something different than being in retail. Because I told my boss about the job. He's like, well, if you want more hours, I can give you more hours. I said, I know you can. I just you're just really bored at Dollar General, aren't you, Matt? <laughs> Yeah, I want to try something different. Um, and the reason why I say it might not last long is because they told me when I did the interview that if I got the job, my days I'd work would be Monday, Thursday, and Friday. My first day of work is scheduled for Tuesday, this Tuesday, and I'm supposed to work at DG that day. And if they're, you know, if they're going to start changing the tune that I have to work, because if I have to decide, I'm going to pick Dollar General. You haven't even started the job, and you've already decided you. Don't have to deal with this shit. Well, no, it's just again, like, because at my work at DG, it looks like uh, stop saying DG. No, I'm the DG way. This is the DG way. <laughs> All hail DG. Um, but no, it looks like there's gonna be some shakeup with the uh, staff. So I need to be, you know, if if I can't, like, I'm like, pretty much the way it's gonna work is I'm gonna work three days at Hertz, four days at DG. So I'll be working seven days a week. Uh which Matt, is gonna you're going to fucking kill yourself. On top, well, no, on top of that, I've got uh, three summer classes that I'm taking in school. And all to buy another scooter from Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me. That's what Caitlin's birthday is coming up in a couple months. So so this is just some kind of perverse endurance test for yourself. Not really. It's also, I, I need money um, for stuff around the house. Uh you know, Johnson's, Johnson's dojo isn't paying the bills like it used to. Um, and also, I need to save up because that brings me to my last point. Uh, in the end of August, guys, I'm taking a sojourn out of the South. I'm leaving the South for a little while. Wait, wait, wait. No. Is that why you're working in Hertz Rent-A-Car? You want driving practice? <laughs> no, but as I thought about it, I wonder if I stay there long enough, I can get like, an employee discount on a rental car. Now you just drive off with the one you're driving. <laughs> they'll never it's take weird. me alive. <laughs> it's weird. I was going to ask you like what your jurisdiction was for the Hertz job because I was wondering, like, could I conceivably call you up and have you pick me up? <laughs> no, I think I'm just going to stay in the area. Like I, The farthest I may go is Columbia, which is about 90 miles away, or Greenville, which is about 100, 100 110 miles away. That's probably the farthest I'd probably go um, for stuff. That's what they told me anyway, but we'll see. God, I want to uh, rent a mat. Rent a mat. That's my. That should be my business. But no, uh, I'm leaving the south for a couple of days. I am going 
I wish I had the song queued up. James, do this in post. The song from The Departed, Shipping Up to Boston. I'm shipping up to Boston, guys. Because I'm going up to Boston because my girlfriend, her nephew, her sister had a baby a couple months ago. And they're doing a christening. So I'm going, she's, she's going back home anyway. She's like, would you like to go? She told me that a couple months ago. I was like, yes, I'd very much like to go. And we are driving up there instead of flying. Cause guys, I don't know if you know this, airline tickets are like expensive, like super expensive. Like for two people, it's like $600. And the food is crazy. I mean, what is the deal with that? <laughs> now see, you say that, but my impression of airlines was that they just loaded you into a cannon and shot you at your destination. That's where it's going now. They do, but it still costs $300 a person. Uh-huh. Crazy. Um, that's how coach gets you. <laughs> but yeah, that's what, uh, the end of August, uh, we'll be, we'll be driving up there. It's about a 15 hour drive to, up there. We'll be taking turns. Um, it's pretty much straight shot on I, I-95. And like I said, this is big because the farthest I've ever been north is Tennessee. And I'm going to Yankee Land, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Indiana? No, Boston. What are you talking about? We, we've established mean- this that, Indiana is, sure, it's a northern state, but it might as well be the south. It's the southern embassy in the north. <laughs> yes. Yeah, One thing, that is true. It's the, the trip to me is sort of, it's going to be a double-edged sword, I feel like. On one hand, super nervous about meeting her family and friends and stuff she's got up there, making a good impression, you know, all this stuff. And me, of course, me being from the south, I'm going to be super self-conscious about speaking and stuff, you know, because I've... I, I'm contemplating if I should just not say anything or like go full out like Falcorn Leghorn X, you know. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. How y'all doing up here in the north? No, I feel like if you're gonna emulate any Looney Tunes character, it should be Wally Coyote. Just hold up a sign for all of your <laughs> responses. Biscuits. Biscuits and gravy, sir. Now you just walk in dressed as Cowboy Bob. <laughs> I'm I'm here in Boston to find that ham sandwich. <laughs> Um, uh, you do end up training under Cowboy Bob, like uh, like Carradine and Kung Fu. Like, I want you to make me more Southern. <laughs> and eventually, you fucking snatch that grit from his goddamn hand, and your training <laughs> is complete. And you walk the South and end up in Boston and have a really nice time with Caitlin's family. I'm also super excited because I don't know, guys, if you know this, but American history started in Boston. <laughs> you know how like there's like there's literally a park up there that's dedicated to John and John Quincy Adams and their whole family that I'm going to see. There's Bunker Hill. There's the USS Constitution that's in the water. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. And Please tell me this is not going to end with you commandeering, a, like, a tea truck and trying to, like, ram no, into the America hi- great again. If I'm going to hijack anything, it's going to be that USS Constitution, the... So, you know, the brigade, brig, uh, the frigate from the 1700s. I'm oh, going to sell that thing. Age with it. <laughs> um, but I've been told that I have to pick two, uh, historical places because we're not, apparently, we're not going to spend all weekend <laughs> going through historical sites. So that's kind of a bummer. I like how this is a homecoming for both of you with Caitlin. It's her visiting her family. With you, it's you visiting your family. <laughs> This is where I was born too, spiritually. Um, but yeah, uh, what was I gonna say? But yeah, I'm I'm mostly looking forward to it, and that's part of the reason why I need this job to save up money and stuff. Uh, I'm going to get a deal actually on a hotel because the one of the ladies I work with, she works part time at a hotel, and she gets like a friends and family like discount 
for people like who use certain chain hotels and the one we picked out instead of it being $154 a night it's going to be $64 a night so that splits it you know almost uh, over halfway you know the the cost so that's going to help out and that's what I thought I said do you have any more friends up there who can just like give us food and stuff like just a way to where we can go up there and only spend like five bucks total that that'd be really great you and Caitlin up in a soup kitchen you win everyone's trust by telling them of the time you and Caitlin hoodwinked a hobo out of a motor scooter. <laughs> um, They're like, you crossed Mr. Silverback? And we live to tell it. Well, mostly. Uh, you know, there's a whole ankle situation, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I am. I'm going north, James. I will be below the Bible Belt's envoy to the north, the representative that they see. It's like you're journeying to just a far-off land that you don't understand. Pretty much. Like, once we, like, I'm fully expecting, like, once we hit uh, Virginia, I want to have to, like, put on, like, an oxygen mask or something. Because I can't breathe that thin northern air. You're like Superman under, like, a red sun. Like, suddenly your powers just drain from you. No, my humidity powers. I start losing my southern accent. No. Your hair just goes flat. (laughs) <laughs> it would be amazing if we returned to Below the Bottle Button and your accent was just completely gone. Like, uh, like no, just, what have they done to you? Or I'd just sound like um, like Matt Damon or something from Goodwill Hunting. You were in Boston four days. How did uh, that I don't happen? know. What, I don't know what you're talking about, James. But yeah, I've got that look. That's what I will be doing on my summer break. Um, attempting to not die and then going to Boston. So. I'll be doing at least one of those things this summer. And then after I see all the sights, then we can talk about dying. Then that will enter the conversation. Well, I mean, it, it, it'll depend on whether or not, like, you turn on the next episode of Below the Bible Belt and I'm suddenly the co-host. <laughs> you usurp, like, while I, those four days that I'm out in the South, you move into the South to usurp my place. You goddamn carpetbagger. <laughs> Truly, a Yankee has imposed on your territory. The Civil War is back on. Hashtag, I'm with fuss. That was just a timeout those last 150 years. But enough about history and Caitlin's and Batman's and all kinds of inane shit. I think it's time that we go into the meat of this episode. The reason we invited our dear friend Alex Cook onto this program for this, our season finale. Religion, Alex. Oh. We all have dealt with it in our lives. We've all seen the light of Jesus. We've all brought in the sheaves from time to time. We've all lost it, according to R.E.M. Now, from time to time on this show, Matt and I have occasionally discussed our histories with religion, both of us more or less being agnostic, me maybe leaning a bit closer towards atheism on that scale. I've decided I'm nihilist, by the way, guys, just so you know, because of True Detective, it turned me. Like, after watching the sixties season of True Detective, like, there is no such thing as a god. I thought you were going to say, after God's not dead, you turned to nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> When I saw, actually, when I saw they were making a sequel to Guys Not Dead. <laughs> okay, can we talk about that for just a moment? Please do, because we need to watch that, because it gets involved into government and history, and just watching the thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's okay. all I it struck, it struck a nerve with you that was more personal than people who have actually, like, made personal threats against you. Exactly, I'm fine with that. Look, guys, I'm a piece of shit. I know I'm a piece of shit, so. Any threats or insults are well-deserved, but do not shit on the American government, guys. And get it wrong, much less. Don't nobody talk shit about mama's home cooking. 
But if you haven't watched the trailer to this, like, we all collectively were floored the day this dropped. The plot of God's Not Dead 2 is, it's a remake of God's Not Dead 1, but this time, it goes to the Supreme Court. After a teacher is unfairly persecuted by the ACLU for mentioning God in a secular classroom, they take the case to the Supreme Court in an attempt to have the U.S. government officially acknowledge the existence of God. And what's amazing about this is that, A, the main character, teacher, person, is played by Melissa Joan Hart, so... Sabrina, the teenage witch, is being persecuted. <laughs> Apparently, Clarissa was not able to explain it all, so she had to turn to a higher power. <laughs> Ferguson is still Satan, though. Secondly, Ray Wise is in this as the head of the ACLU, and he plays this role as if he were playing Norman Osborn. <laughs> well, I love how, just judging by this trailer... The filmmakers seem to think that the ACLU is a hate group akin to the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> I, I believe there's an evil roundtable meeting about what we're to do with these Christians. Uh, doesn't Weiss say something like, when this case is over, we will have eradicated religion from America? <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Like, the trailer to this thing is absolutely insane, but apparently that pales in to comparison to the actual film, because I've seen reviews for this thing detail plot points that made my head turn. <laughs> Everything you need to know about this movie comes halfway through the trailer, where outside the courthouse, people are protesting with picket signs, chanting, God's not dead, he's surely alive! God's not dead, he's surely alive! And then it cuts to the song, God's not dead, he's surely alive, by the Newsboys. From the exact same performance that ended the last movie, because they just repeat that. Um, they don't bring the Newsboys back, they just show the exact same concert. Can we um mention right quick, the subplot that apparently appears in the trailer that they prove that Jesus actually existed. Oh yeah, this is what sent Matt off. The big point in this movie is proving that Jesus was a historical figure. Which sent Matt into a rage I have not seen since basically he met me. Yeah, I was as mad as the first time I met you. Um, (laughs) But what does that have to do with anything? If Jesus existed or not? You know what I mean? I didn't realize Jesus was part of the committee of correspondence back before the revolution. I didn't realize Jesus was at the Boston Tea Party. I didn't realize Jesus was at the first second continental congress. I didn't realize Jesus fought in the fucking Revolutionary War. I did not realize that Jesus was a member of the Constitutional Convention. I didn't realize any of this. So surely by wrapping up Jesus into history, they've somehow validated that it's alright to pray in school, right? With all the wars that have been fought over Jesus over the years, you could say he's played a pretty big part of history. I guess. I mean, the same way that, like, syphilis has played a big part in history, right? Wait, I just realized, did James just devil's advocate you? It's my time now. <laughs> the devil's advocate. <laughs> um, I've, I've just always found it fascinating that, that it is such a sticking point with some people. And I mean people on both sides trying to prove or disprove that an actual dude 
named Jesus existed at some point in old Jerusalem, because I don't think that would really prove things either way. It's like, do you think a few hundred years from now, people are going to be debating on whether or not L. Ron Hubbard existed, as if that would prove or disprove Scientology? Um, yeah, that's why I was... Uh, I feel like, me personally, I think Jesus did exist. I think he was some sort of speaker, um, leader, what have you. Alien. Yes. But, yeah, I don't believe all the stuff happened that, like the Bible says, you know. Being, I mean, even if Jesus did exist, you know, it was you know, almost 2,000 years later that America was founded. You know, America that was founded... <laughs> Wait, are you saying that history didn't begin until 1776? No, I'm saying that what does that have to do? Okay, Jesus is alive. Uh, Jesus was real. But what's that? It's, again, that's sort of a – your your argument is flawed because you're not – you're saying, oh, Jesus existed, so therefore prayer should be allowed in school. Also, what really kind of gets me about this is like, okay, say that hypothetically Jesus was a real person, which I honestly don't – have an opinion on one way or another. Oh, this is the 21st century, sir. You need to have an opinion, even if it's the wrong one. Just imagine for a second the idea of a real-world version of Jesus Christ who did all the things Jesus did, but without the powers. Like, he just one day walked into a place, was outraged that people were handing out and taking coins, and dumped coins over. It's in an 80s arcade. He just dumps over all the chains, <laughs> machines. Not in Sinistar's house! <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, he served wine and bread to people and said, this is my body, this is my blood. Like, Jesus, essentially, if he was real, would be a crazy dude. An insane, insane crazy dude. He's just a burnout old hippie. See, again, it's 80s hey. Jesus <laughs> tripping out at the arcade. He sees a breakdancing competition going on, like, pulls the cardboard out, and, like, p puts his hand up to protect, like, the valley girl who's breakdancing. <laughs> Let he who is without funk drop the first <laughs> rhyme. One of you will betray me! <laughs> yeah, he yells running down the sidewalk. So, I think what you're saying is that Jesus is essentially Tommy Chong, right? That would actually line up. Oh, DJJC? <laughs> okay, where is the reinterpretation of the Gospels as a 1980s canon film group breakdancing movie? I mean, we need that, yeah. Like, instead of trying to get people into the kingdom of heaven, JC is just trying to save the rec center? New test, new, the New Testament electric boogaloo. I would watch that. There would be so many more like warmers at the crucifixion. That's Yeah, it's like instead of like the Romans that crucified Jesus, it's... Uh, the wealthy uh, business developer who wants to turn the rec center into a, a cheap group of condominiums. Now, can you imagine Barry Gibb appearing to Jesus as Satan and just walking <laughs> him through a disco and saying, Oh, this can be yours if you just submit to me, JC. No, oh, man, disco's dead. And of course, um, Ice-T is one of the apostles. <laughs> He's Judas. No, I was going to say Vin Diesel is Judas. Oh, great dance, and Vin Diesel is Judas. Would that make, like, Herbie Hancock the John the Baptist? <laughs> see, now, I just want to see this movie. Jesus is crucified on a cardboard cross on the street corner. He's, like, instead of him actually being crucified, it's just someone spray paints him on the side of a building. <laughs> Like, he's sent back home, and his mom grounds him for three days, but whenever they open up the door to his room, he's gone. He snuck out. He is risen from his bed. <laughs> yeah, Jesus got out of the Bronx, man. He's, he is sent out. 
Like his girl Mary was saying he came back. Like he came back and saw her before he left. We don't believe her. And they all write explosive tell-all books about him 20 years later. And that is, of course, the Book of Mormon. But anyway, what I was getting at 20 minutes ago, (laughs) before that Melissa Joan Hart-infused tangent, was we've talked a lot about what Matt and I feel about religion, but in none of your appearances have we ever talked about the subject with you, Alex, which I find kind of puzzling considering... Of the three of us, you have the most interesting history with religion. Which is weird to think because I don't find it that interesting, but I also know that my position, as far as religion goes, is very strange and not of the usual type. It's it's kind of been a thing throughout my life that slowly dawned on me. is like, yeah, this is a really like sect group of the religious hierarchy. It's kind of like how the slow realization I had in my uh, late adolescence when I realized that my family was Southern. <laughs> oh, my God. Mom, Dad, you tell me you're, we're Southern? <sighs> oh, please tell me, like, you have a story of um, being denied starring in a Christmas play because, like, your parents sent a letter telling your teacher that you were Southern. <laughs> <laughs> because I have that story. Alex, tell the good people at home. Your cross to bear. Okay, so esteemed below the Bible Belt listeners, astute listeners, you know your German fans, your Southern fans, all of all of your loyal devoutees. Matt Fuss. I tell you, especially Matt Fuss. I tell you a cautionary tale. The cautionary tale being: never be born in a family of Jehovah's Witnesses. It's good advice. And the reason I say that is because it's not that I have anything overly malicious towards them, because the majority of Jehovah's Witnesses that I've met throughout my life, and it's it's been many, because, you know, they're very kind of, they keep to themselves in terms of, like, interacting with each other. They're very closed off from the rest of society, so they like to, you know, meet and gather with their own kind. So I've been exposed to all types of people and for the most part they've been generally pleasant people uh i have nothing against them in terms of their belief system because while i don't agree with their belief system personally it's nothing that's really all that insane like compared to what you actually hear about jehovah's witnesses in the media and uh articles online like stuff like that like it's not as bad as it's made out to be, but... Alex, Alex, before you go any further, I should point out to the listeners that you were raised a Jehovah's Witness. Because <laughs> that wasn't clear, and you just came across like you were really racist. <laughs> like, I have met many Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I have nothing against them personally. So, so are my best beliefs. friends are Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> I mean... But continue... It's now that we've got that out of the way. Yes, I I mean, I'm not a self-hating Jehovah's Witness. I, I'll just put that out there. Because, as it turns out, I'm not actually a Jehovah's Witness. I was raised that way. I, My family, my mother, my grandmother, my father even, was heavily in the, what they call the truth. <laughs> which, it's, which is 
their belief that their religion is the one and only religion, like a lot of other religions do. Now, wait, wait, wait. I thought it was the good news. It's considered the good news, and to the insider, it's considered the truth. Wait, wait, wait. When Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door and offer me the good news, they're giving me some bullshit? It's hard to believe, I know, but... Wait a minute, what about the Watchtower? I thought you guys like lived in a Watchtower, right? No, I wish. Unfortunately, the Watchtower is relegated to pamphlets. And the Justice League. So, wait a minute, maybe I can get a job there. Maybe someone will finally fucking pay me. <laughs> no, they're a non-profit organization. They don't accept charity or anything like that, so, no. Well, I do. <laughs> I accept the fuck out of charity. Matt, are I'm you so- a non-profit organization? <laughs> I am. It doesn't I mean, make sense have I, Listen, have I ever told you guys I had to, when I started working for the, uh, for the magazine, I had to f- sign a, a tax form, declare myself my own corporation. For tax reasons, so I am officially Matt Johnson, LLC. Matt, I just realized you're essentially stating that you're a non-sexual prostitute. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, but at least prostitutes get paid. It's like a news crew comes to your house every time you do the dishes. (laughs) There's some more good deeds done by the good people at Matt. Uh, Matt, LLC, but um, but I'm sorry to get off on the rails, but but yeah, apparently corporations are people, so. <laughs> Not to get political here. <laughs> but you were telling us about the truth. <laughs> yes, the truth. Um, for a very long time, and by long time, I mean my entire life, because literally this has been a thing I've dealt with since I came out of the womb. Yeah, you're still in Jonestown. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, here's the thing about my current situation. I came to realize that I was not of this faith pretty early on, probably in my like uh, elementary school days, um, and then it kind of further dawned on me throughout my teenage years. But here's the thing that kind of puts a wrench in that whole like, okay, I'm a free thinker type of mentality that I had once I realized that. I still haven't told any member of my family that I'm not of the faith. I'm essentially an in-the-closet Jehovah's Witness to my family. No, actually, you're, I guess you would be a, an in-a-closeted agnostic in that case. Yeah, that is true, because I am agnostic. Like My belief system is basically that I don't know how the universe started. I don't know if there's a higher being. I don't know what exactly began all this, but I'm not going to presume as if I do. So that's kind of where I fall on the totem pole. Like, I'm not... Anywhere close to atheist, I think, but I'm also not really someone who says, like, for certain that I think a god exists. I um, don't know. Here's the thing. Have you guys – I feel like I'm I'm becoming a Jehovah's Witness, but have you guys considered deism? Maybe that's what you, you the two of you fall under. Have you thought about that? Do you know what deism is? Uh, I've heard about it. I'm not super familiar with it. The, the reason I know it is because it was the main religion of the Founding Fathers. Go to hell, Matt. I did I did an arm thing. Um like Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, uh, George Washington, they believed that there was a God. Um, I think the the most succinct way to describe it is the way Ben Franklin once described it. Um, God is a watchmaker who has crafted all these pieces, and then once the clock has been set, he leaves it alone and lets it run on its own accord. So you believe in maybe a God and who created stuff, but no such thing as like an active uh, God who has part in like you know it's a far cry from Calvinism where you know <laughs> if you took a shit that morning it's because God said you had to take a shit you know 
But well, this day, I feel like deism is like somewhere in the middle, somewhere on the side of agnostic, uh, but not quite as far as like atheism. I would say that's not where I lie because my whole thing is just that I've essentially, when it comes to unraveling the mysteries of the universe and what life means beyond our lives, I've essentially thrown in the towel and said, fuck it, I don't really know, so I don't really care. I'm just going to focus on living out my life to the best of my ability. There you go. Plus, deism kind of seems like an awful lot of energy for very little output. I mean, uh, what's the point of believing in a god that's absent? It kind of seems like a zero-sum game there. Well, it's not like it's an act of religion. There was no such thing as like a deist church where people went to the church and like, oh, god, I think... How mighty God maybe is, uh, God, question mark. They don't, they didn't do that for two hours. They just didn't go to church. So I just mean in philosophical terms, it seems, it kind of seems like splitting hairs to me. Deism seems to me almost like it's sort of from the age of enlightenment. I feel like, again, it was about that gradual shift. Like now we have agnosticism, we have atheism and even nihilism that are on the far stream. Deism was sort of, the slow approach to these philosophical ideas because like, you know, I'm sure there were people who were like, Oh, there is no guy. There is nothing. You know, we are all bleak creatures who live in the void, that kind of thing. But I they find were, that way, I actually find that way more comforting than deism. I mean, who wants to believe in a deadbeat dad in the sky? <laughs> that's true. Now you sound I mean, like that's what Louis CK, I think once said that if God exists, he is like the parent who gets us on the weekends. Oh, you know? <laughs> well, I would say that I kind of get Matt's point in in a certain sense because it seems like that deism was sort of the bridge to what eventually became agnosticism and atheism, just kind of for the first sort of challenge to the idea of the norm, I mean, which is... that's what, imagine, like, this was very radical at the time. You know, this was part of the Age of Enlightenment where people are like, huh, you know what, maybe uh, epilepsy, epilepsy, epilepsy. Is, epilepsy isn't what? caused... By the devil, you know. Maybe maybe there's a reason why people get fevers and die. It's just not, you know, God. Maybe saying, women who are smart aren't witches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was well, part of that shift. Well, I respect deism's position as a stepping stone in the history of religious progression in this country. I just reject your initial point that Alex and I should shift to this religion, which was just a cheap, flimsy facade for you to once again drop some history on us. Religious history, but yeah, I just I've I've been listening to some history stuff lately, but I don't want to get into that because we'll be here all day. But you uh, truly have a problem, my friend. I am not. You've been you've been getting history on Craigslist. (laughs) I just get Orny to read me. Yeah, some bullshit happened back in ancient Rome. I don't fucking know. That'd be a hundred dollars, please. I know Dan Carlin is renting himself over the internet now. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be amazing. Um, That's why you got the Hertz job, so you can afford just Dan Carlin lectures. I just, what I do is I just go on to Skype, and Dan Carlin just talks to me about stuff. You know, that's it. That's all. It doesn't need to be history. He could just talk. He could, like, read, uh, like, a Betty Crocker cake recipe, you know, and I would be enthralled. But we're getting off the subject. Uh, religion. God. Um, Alex, you don't believe in... You don't know, and furthermore, you don't care. Which, again, makes me sound like maybe that's more towards the nihilist side, because nihilism isn't exactly 
like the way we think of nihilism now, because I, I wrote about this in philosophy class, but we think like it's not like Matthew McConaughey and True Detective. You know, we're all God. You know, there is people are miserable shits to each other. There is no God. Blah blah blah. You know, I'm a horrible person, so we're all horrible creatures who live in the void. That kind of thing. Nihilism, nihilism just sounds like an asshole. Then, well, nihilism to me, the way I describe myself, if I if I believe in nihilism, I say that there's no God, there's no afterlife. Uh, the time we have on Earth is all we have after we're dead, oblivion. So if anything, that makes it that much important to be kind to each other. That makes it that much important to be respectful of each other. That makes it that much important to uh, believe in the things we believe and try to fight for. Because there is no divine reward. You've got this time. Use it as best you can. Isn't that just existentialism, though? Is it? I would say that's even like borderline atheism, whereas like you're not really actively going into people's faces and saying there is no God, but you yourself just reject the idea well, that's, of that's true of any divine religion. power. You don't need religion. You don't necessarily need to be in someone's face about it. You know, you can. That's something that people don't understand. Like you can still. That's again. You can be. You can believe in what. I don't have a problem with you believing in what you believe in. Just don't. Tell me what you believe in. Just, just don't here. ring my doorbell at 930 <laughs> with your goddamn pamphlet. That's the thing. is like, While I can, to a degree, defend Jehovah's Witnesses for being generally decent people, I can't really defend their practices as like, they're widely known, which is like the door knocking, the constant inundation of like, have you heard the good news and all of that stuff. Like, I find that to be understandably invasive, and I find that to be like really pushy. That's so, probably that's very dangerous for the Jehovah's Witnesses themselves. Like, I just keep imagining some kind of pulp fiction scenario where they knock on this guy's door and they're like, oh, have you heard the news? Well, the spider's caught himself some flies, hasn't he? <laughs> Come in. I, I wonder if that's why, like, I don't know how they are where you are, Alex, but around here, the Jehovah's Witnesses are old black ladies who look like old black grandmas. That's all the ones they ever see. So I wonder if that's because, like, Statistically, no one's going to hurt them. Uh, you know what I mean? As much as maybe someone else who's younger, or you know what I mean? I don't think, statistically speaking, black women are a protected people, Matt. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. But I think they're maybe better than some people. You know, they're they're less threatened. You know what I mean? I'm. Uh, I got to be honest. No. Um, like, 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 if there was a big, like, like, Luke, I'll be honest with you, buddy. Like, you're one of my dear friends. I've been knowing you almost ten years now. But if you come to my door. I don't. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> well, that's just true because you know me. That's not true because of my well, no, if, witness background. If you had a, a watchtower, like, nope, fuck off, you know. But something about the old black women who always come to my door. I'm able to talk to them, you know. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that if I came to your door without a watchtower, you would just say no, fuck off, and then probably try to murder me because if, you know if, who I am. Would you be dressed as Batman or not, James? What did you see in the Walmart the other day? My God, you were witnessing. <laughs> See, I would love if you showed up at my door in a Batman costume. You're like, "Have you heard the good news?" And you pass me a copy of Justice League with the Watchtower on the front. <laughs> have but, you heard the truth? Have we? Have we? I feel like we've made this joke before, but there should be an arc in Batman where he becomes Jehovah's Witness, and he just uses the Batman tactics to, like, you know, instead of knocking on doors, he kicks them down. He immediately gets his ass kicked, and Alfred has to operate on him. <laughs> no, no blood transfusion. <laughs> But we're talking around the question that's surely uh, on the tip of everyone's tongue at home. Alex, have you ever been made to deliver the good news? Fortunately, I was young enough to where 
I never had to physically actually deliver pamphlets to a door, but I have been a I have accompanied people who have done that. I just never actually got out of the car because you were the wheel man. Uh, I mean, I was five, so no. <laughs> I like the idea of, of Alex being the getaway driver. <laughs> go, go, go! They're on to us! The spider's got himself a couple of flies! Oh god, they're Pentecostals, Ron! <laughs> this neighborhood is a Methodist neighborhood. They're coming after us. We're muscling it on their territory. <laughs> <laughs> they got holy water, run! I have always been under the impression that Mormons are like the arch enemies of the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> like they're rival gangs. They do seem to dress similarly. Well, what's funny is that, like, ultimately what Jehovah's Witnesses, and by the way, this is me, like, going into my own history explaining. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses came to be from what I understand through my research on it, because I became very curious about it once I, you know, became a teenager and started questioning all this stuff. You've gone through the massive Jehovah's Witness library at your family estate. <laughs> I, you, you say that as a joke. That's, that's amusing. <laughs> I've actually looked into kind of the origins of the religion, and basically, the Jehovah's Witnesses were formed out of a sort of sense that basic, you know, run-of-the-mill Catholicism was innately corrupt because of their pagan ancestry. And what the Jehovah's Witnesses actually did was they said, we're going to leave the pagan stuff out of it and just keep all the regular the other stuff. Which I'm not sure how that works because basically all of it is pagan, from what well, I. Well, that would that would explain though, like the um, the holiday stuff, because a lot of the holidays that well, yeah, actually, the Christian holidays are you know have their roots in pagan festivals and celebrations. Well, that's and that's a good point that you actually brought up because that was what I discovered in looking up. You know, why don't they celebrate holidays? Why don't they celebrate birthdays? It all traces back to because those were pagan traditions. That's why they don't celebrate any of the stuff. Is It's basically been recontextualized into God didn't want that because that was corrupt. That was co-opted by people who sought divinity elsewhere. Like that, that was basically the Bible covering up the idea of there were other religions that existed. And it was the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, canon, essentially, that their Bible was the one and only religion, so to mention, oh, also people were, like, Catholics, and there was Judaism, and there was, you know, Buddhism, and all this stuff. It's like, they had to cover their asses. I just like the fact that, at some point, your ancestors looked at Catholicism and decided they were having too much fun. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of been a... That was kind of the first thing that kind of broke me away from it, because when you're growing up in a public school system and you're a family of Jehovah's Witnesses, you are one out of about, I would say, a hundred students who deal with this. So you're in a very like small minority. And if they do anything remotely against your faith, then you essentially have amnesty to opt out of that stuff because your um, family can write a note. I think I've told you this, but my mom always told me she went to school with a little boy who was Jehovah's Witness. And like during like holidays and stuff when they had their little parties and stuff in elementary school, he would always like just leave school early instead of, you know, they wouldn't <laughs> force him to sit in the corner, you know, and watch them have a good time or anything. Although they may have. This was like the late 60s, early 70s. I'm surprised they didn't. Yeah, separate but equal, Matt. Well, what's funny is that like – Stuff like that, whenever it would happen at my school, most of the time, I would just not tell anyone in my family that that happened oh. and just kind of 
partook in it itself, which I didn't even realize at the time was me sort of rebelling against it predominantly. Like, I was already kind of taking my first steps out of it, but... I'm actually Buddhist. You were a a kid, you're like, how come I can't have a fucking party? That's bullshit, you know? Yeah, that that was really kind of the big... I want cake. Why does my religion hate cake? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you joke, but it was kind of like little debates in my head going that far back is that, like... I want some cake. I want this cake. Okay, like, why am I not allowed to do this thing that everyone else is? And, like, I remember having to fight my mother on the idea of celebrating Halloween because, you know, I was a superhero fan. I love the idea of dressing up in costumes, and this was the only goddamn night to do it. Why was I not allowed to do it with everyone else? Because that was the normal thing. And that's what you want as a kid is just to be able to feel normal. So to have this in your life kind of thrust upon you because of some weird tradition is – very strange and kind of illuminating as you grow up because you realize like, oh, that's no, that's that's actually not something that I subscribe to at all. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of perverse to pull that on a child. And also, I need to make the obvious joke that they cross the line whenever they denied you a chance to be Batman. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But the thing is, is that ultimately that's kind of what a lot of religions do regardless is that it's a form of brainwashing. And I've seen it in my family like multiple times over is that they subscribe to this 100% without fail, even though they're questioned on it and challenged by it, by people they know, like friends of theirs, coworkers, whatever, what have you, they will be challenged on it. And they still unequivocally believe that this is the truth. And I've never really understood it because Honestly, it doesn't go that far back in my family. It's really only on my mother's side. And my father, who I have kind of in a strange relationship with and haven't seen in a couple of years, um, he was really the only witness of his family. And that was how he met my mother was they were like – At uh, witness camp. Essentially. They were at an anti-holiday gathering. They all just <laughs> sat in a nondescript white room and drank flavorless punch. It's funny that you guys are making so many jokes because what's funny is you're not that far off from the truth. Well, see, I forgot. Here's the thing. I, I was just going to say that your favorite Batman story is Long Halloween for obvious reasons. <laughs> you had to hide um, that underneath your bed. Uh, actually, I do have a copy of Long Halloween that my mother has never seen, so that's kind of amazing. <laughs> what is this? Uh, God, I, 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 to this day, I still hold a grudge over the fact that I can never really go and buy a copy of one of my favorite movies, John Carpenter's Halloween. <laughs> That I, feel like, I feel like she would like Halloween and the long Halloween because it's about people dying on holidays. This is what happens when you celebrate holidays, Alex. You die. Go to hell. Or no, you don't go to, you just don't exist. That's right. You well, guys don't believe in hell. Well, that's what, uh, that's a good segue into another belief system that Jehovah's Witnesses have, which is they don't really believe in the Roman Judea heaven and hell. They believe in a heaven. But they don't really believe in a purgatory or an afterlife or anything like that. They believe in resurrection. They believe that after you die, at a certain point in time, when God commences Armageddon, he will resurrect everyone that has ever died and essentially make them live out a thousand years of judgment where God <laughs> – That's hardcore. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird. It kind of metal. But See, um, at, first I thought, at first, this religion, I just thought it was kind of like daughter. Yeah, we'll knock on doors. I have holidays, but then it ran. It goes up a notch or two when you get to judgment. <laughs> yeah, they would, it would be a different tune if they showed up at your front door. Like, do you want to hear about the one thousand years of anal spikes? <laughs> well, it's not judgment in terms of like you're being tortured. It's just that God weeds out the good from the bad by making you live out. 
essentially a Mad Max style existence. I am not joking. Oh yeah. They yeah. essentially essentially the world goes to shit, and the people who are loyal to God are anointed as part of the 144,000 who will preside over heaven. The rest who are converted will essentially be allowed to live eternal life on a new paradise earth that has been brought forth after the old earth has been torn asunder. Essentially, it's racial ghoul logic. It explains why your motto is, I live, I die, I live again, right? Basically, yeah. Well, all I take from that is God apparently uses the same tactics towards non-believers that a really homophobic grandmother makes towards, like, the gay nephew by not inviting him to Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, if you're going to be weird, you can be weird with all your little friends while all the good people are in here sitting at the grown-ups table eating ham. Well, remember the last time that God uh, interfered, as told to us by the normal, the, like, mainstream Bible and the Jehovah's Witness Bible, which is, there was a time where Noah built an ark, and God laid waste to some motherfuckers. <laughs> That's, right. That's in the Jehovah's Witness version, too. So that was essentially his like last big act in the history of everything, which was the Great Flood. And then he never meddled in human affairs ever again. What's the big difference between the mainstream Bible and the director's cut Jehovah's Witness Bible? Essentially, what it is is a very toned-down version where, you know, it's not as much – it's very New Testament, but sort of almost like a, a more accessible version where New Testament is kind of watered down and not, like, as heavy-handed. Like, there's no – there's like, there's nothing in the Jehovah's Witness Bible about the crucifix. Like, he's not, you know, hoisted up on a wooden stake. He's basically just uh, nailed to a one-pronged stake. Like, it, it, there's no, like, imagery like that. There's no there's no Holy Trinity. There's nothing like the um, God and Jesus and the, uh, the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like that. It's just one God and then Jesus. I like how, once again, Jehovah's Witnesses stand for making the Bible more boring. <laughs> Basically. None of those fancy frills like, you know, two pieces of wood. Nah, uh -uh. we just do one here. That's good. That was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for us. I just like the idea of some Jehovah's Witness leaders standing in the Sistine Chapel looking up and thinking, does God have to be so ripped? <laughs> like, can we give him some, like, some stretch marks like he's recently given birth? Like, maybe like, give him a little surgery scar on his chest. Maybe show that God's, he's getting on the years. He might have had a quadruple bypass or two. I'm sure they've got that in heaven. Like, anything to make God look a little less, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? What you're basically describing is Christopher Nolan's The Bible. <laughs> now that I would pay to see. Some Inception level shit. Where instead of like dying and going to hell, you actually enter another level of existence. Okay, we'll see that. You bring up something that is always stuck in my crawl with certain religions, and that's the idea that instead of an afterlife, all you can hope for is resurrection. Which as far as pitches go, is the worst I've ever heard from a mainstream religion. Hey, if you say your prayers and follow these very strict rules and don't need any red meat or whatever other shit we throw out here, then in a thousand years you'll get to 
live out all this stupid shit again. The only thing religion has ever had going for it is the promise of a life beyond all this bullshit. Well, that's the thing is, like, with the Jehovah's Witnesses is that they have their cake and they eat it, too, because they say, well, there's going to be this a thousand years. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was legitimately clever, and I commend you for that one. Um, I have a few. Yeah, they basically say, okay, we're going to have the resurrection part, but we're also going to have the afterlife part a thousand years afterward, where paradise will come into it, and you will live forever. And I believe, like, I'm not exactly clear on this part of it, but I think that the thousand years is still giving you immortality, but it's immortality on Earth. Yeah, I I don't want to live for the rest of all time in a paradise on Earth. I want to be one with the cosmos. I want to be the space baby at the end of 2001. You want to live in the clouds? I want to transcend space and time and, and fly around space solving mysteries. I don't know. I'm not God. I didn't make this up. I mean, neither did he, because he doesn't exist. Boom! Oh, you you went full atheist in in a single episode. I think I think I, I think I channeled Mike there for a second. That was that was really messed up. I apologize. But yes, uh, the idea of Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, really, I think what broke me in terms of the lore and the idea of like what is there in the Bible, what is established as canon, and what is established as what they believe is essentially the origin story of it all, which it goes back to the idea of, okay, the reason that humans suffer and the reason that they're born with imperfection and the reason that they don't have, you know, the idea of Adam and Eve-like perfection just granted into their DNA, the reason we don't live good lives is because Satan exists. And Satan basically challenged God by saying, oh, you know, you're kind of an asshole and they could just lead themselves. And God's saying, bullshit, they can't lead themselves. And Satan's saying, no, they can lead themselves. They, they, they can totally lead themselves. Why don't you let them lead themselves? And God was saying, fine. And then all human suffering occurred. <laughs> like, when you think about it, that was a really fucked up origin story because God is essentially, like, making us suffer through death, through disease, through plagues, through violence, through all of this, like, horrible, horrible shit. Because he wanted to win in a bet with Satan. But he loves you. Essentially. Once I kind of wrapped my head around that idea, that was where it all fell apart. Um, so what you're saying is your religion is saying that it's an extended version of the Book of Job, right? Where God and the devil are like, let's do some shit because we're bored. Like, okay, let's instead of fucking with one guy's life, they fuck with the entire human race. Uh, kind of. Like, that. that's kind of what leads into the whole Adam and Eve thing, the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. and all that. Like, all of that is still there. It's just kind of... Once again, like it has some elements taken out, so that's such a philosophical fallacy. The only reason that there is any pain and suffering from this world is because we have free will. But if we didn't have free will, we wouldn't be human and we wouldn't be alive. So it's kind of self-defeating there. Well, that's the, well. So what you're saying is to be alive is to be in pain. I agree with that pretty much. Well, it's not living that it bothers them. It's the idea of. Us not being in servitude of God at all times. Bullshit, he's God. Why does he need people to serve him? Because... Oh, now you sound like you're, you sound like Garth Ennis now. <laughs> if I meet God, he will have to beg for my mercy. But, uh, like, basically what it boils down to, from what I believe, is, like, God essentially is really, really, really lacking in self-confidence. <laughs> And needs a posse. Like, uh, you know how I mentioned the 144,000 anointed ones? That's his entourage. 
Yeah, they're essentially his entourage. And we're all turtle. <laughs> yeah, there's 144,000 turtles. It's It's got a couple of things where it's like, okay, if you really looked at this from a skeptical point of view, like, and not even a skeptical point of view, from just a logical point of view, yeah, there's some holes to poke. Well, that was pretty much my breaking away with religion. When I realized that God, as he's perceived by Christians, isn't an all-powerful deity who is the source of all beauty and love in the universe. God is the world's worst boyfriend. Like, he needs constant reassurance. He always needs to know that he's number one. You're not going to talk to any other guys. Like, you're not going to hang out with any friends or anything. It's like, if you have a guy friend, he needs to be gay, all right? And if you don't follow these rules, he will beat the fucking shit out of you. But it's for your own good because he loves you. And he killed his only son to show you how much he loves you and you're not appreciating it. That, uh, that reminds me of, uh, actually what you said is almost not completely verbatim, but a couple years ago, a bit that actually saw Louis C.K. do, where he talks about how God is a shitty girlfriend instead of a boyfriend. You know, why? Like, the story of, like, Abraham. Like, you know, hey, Abraham, kill your son Isaac. Why? Because you don't love me. Prove that you love me by killing your son. And then the last minute when he's here, what are you doing? I'm killing my son. Why would you do that? Because you asked me to. You're crazy. But keep in mind, God is all-knowing. So he should logically would have known that Abraham would have done that anyway. But God is very petty and needs people to act out the things that are in his head. Well, see, that's the thing. You bring up the whole all-knowing thing. That's the other big thing that nobody really talks about when it comes to religion. It's like going beyond Jehovah's Witnesses, going beyond just one particular faith. If you believe in a god, you believe in an idea of a deity that knows the future, the present, the past, and all forms of reality. Why in God's name, not to put a pun in it, would that deity allow people to suffer for a preordained outcome that he already knows? Like, why does he need to have this proven to us in the most elaborate way imaginable that it doesn't make any sense? Like, the way you're describing it, so Jehovah's Witness believe in predestination, right? I mean, that's that's a feature that is common in religion, but to varying degrees, because like I mentioned, Calvinism is like the extreme idea of predestination, and you know, some people, like I said, they're a little more lax on it once you get into different types of Protestantism, and I, you know, I don't know where where you people fall, you know. I would say Jehovah's Witnesses kind of are in the middle, where they're kind of lax on it, like they do they don't really say, okay, like, everything is God's will, but there's well, still... Like the- you can't believe in predestination at the same time using the free will as the cause of suffering idea. You know, it's either God's plan or not. It's almost as if this stuff really doesn't make sense whenever you put it under a microscope. <laughs> exactly. But I, I do want to make perfectly clear that uh, despite my unending snarkiness on the subject, I'm not even really an anti-religious guy. I believe in practicing safe religion. (laughs) With condoms. I have the same attitudes towards religion that I have towards fetishes and drug use, which is, it's fine if it's not preventing you from living your life functionally. (laughs) It's like, it's fine if you're a furry, but if you lose your job because you're wearing the fursuit to work, you need to dial it down a little bit. That's the way I feel about religion. It's like, 
religion can be very beautiful and it can empower you to genuinely be a better person and to make a benevolent mark on the world. It's just when religion fucks other shit up that it gets to be a problem. Well, religion, as I once explained uh, a couple of years ago, actually, to a couple of friends of mine, religion is, to me, perfectly fine as something that you use to escape the stresses of everyday life. It's something that if you use it to channel positivity into, then yeah, it's fine, and I have no problem. Like, I honestly don't have any ill will towards any certain religion, except for like the extremists like Westboro Baptist Church and the Ku Klux Klan. Like, those people can go fuck themselves forever. But the idea of religion itself is not entirely without merit, and I do think that it has a place. What I don't think is that you can really rely on religion too much because I think too often it's used as an excuse to essentially be a better person than you actually are because you should just have that kind of morality on your own. You should be able to actively, instinctually know how to be a good person. Yeah, that uh, actually loops back to nihilism again because we were talking about earlier, like, God's not dead, the original context of the... God is dead, sort of. Uh, essay that Nietzsche wrote is talking about that in the post Enlightenment age, you know, the age of the 1800s where we live now, religion had this place at one time as a good center for morals and stuff, but now the ideals is society, at least nominally, has progressed to where we're more enlightened on these ideas of morals and justifications and stuff that we no longer need religion, you know, as a tether. Well, religion was civilization for a great deal of human history up until the past couple of hundred years, really. (laughs) In some places around here in the South, that's about right. You know, that's about the only civilization you're going to see is around the church. Well, around the church, I would argue that a big proponent and big kind of counterpoint to religion in the modern day is the idea of patriotism. The idea of unending, unwavering yeah, uh, nationalism is sort of, you're right. Yeah, patriotism's a religion. Now, I, feel, I feel like patriotism now, like especially, it's actually, and, uh, I don't want to talk about that because it gets into history, and you've already <laughs> made yourself clear. But what I was going to say was, yeah, the republicanism of the early republic of the United States was very uh, agnostic and deist, very non-religion. It wasn't until the early 1800s, the Second Great Awakening, that religion attached itself to republican ideas. Uh, we weren't founded as a Christian nation per se, but we fucking became one thanks to preachers and, you know, uh, uh, congregations and stuff, you know. That was retconned into our story. Pretty much. Like I've said on the show before, I feel that every human being, regardless of where they stand on any issues, in order to truly be complete, has to have a faith of some sort. But that faith does not have to be any kind of religion. Like, for some people, the thing that gives their life light, that is the lens that they view the world through and gives them hope, is something like art. For some people, it is patriotism. For some people, that's a specific person. But everybody has to have that other that they can look to, that thing that's outside of themselves that they can draw strength from. I think that's something that's hardwired into the human brain. And for most of our history, that's defaulted as religion. I think now that we've reached, for lack of a better name, the age of options, that we see that taking a million other forms and 
I guess we're just kind of in the state of flux right now where all of that stuff's getting figured out. Yeah, so I, I feel like we're still living in the aftermath of the Enlightenment. You know, it's only been a couple hundred years, and religion as we know it was, like, you know, the Roman Catholic Church was around for about a thousand years before the Enlightenment started, and Protestantism's only been around, you know, what, 500 years. Well, um, I mean, so we're still in the aftermath um, of that. Well, I mean, look at all the major political issues that we face today, like the idea of anti-transgender laws, anti-gay, like, the idea of gay marriage being legalized nationwide was only a recent thing. It's, we finally reached a point where we're kind of looking at some of the old ways and saying, no, let's, let's progress beyond that. Let's, let's really kind of look at this and really have more of an obstructive eye towards what is there and what is actually useful and what is not, and then shunning that. Because I feel like we're becoming more and more evolved with each passing decade. Like, we're getting more and more towards the idea of free will, the idea that, unfortunately, I would say Jehovah's Witnesses largely shun, which is probably the most negative thing I could say about them. But I would say that humanity as a whole is becoming more and more just for equality, for the option of having a more expansive view of how everything works. I would definitely say so. I have kind of a pet theory that I've kicked around in my head for a few years now. Uh, something that I believe is kind of, kind of explains the heart of so many of these debates. Like, explains the divide between, not, not just left and right and secular and a religious, but just between the two main branches of human being in this world. And I think that that divide is the divide between evolution and creation as concepts. For someone who sees the universe and the sum total of human history as evolution, the universe began in its simplest, most crude form, then throughout history evolved, grew more complex, more sophisticated, and indomitably better, first genetically, then societally as a people. And that's been an upward process, and we're going to keep refining ourselves and getting that little bit better, little bit better, little bit better with each new model. And that's ultimately an upward process that you can only be hopeful about. And then there's the opposite way of thinking. There's creation, the one that just about every major religion is based around. The idea that the universe was created perfect, and every step we've made from that moment was a step away from God, away from perfection. Every step forward is actually a step back, because everything just needs to have the clock turned back. That one glorious moment of creation where we were in the Garden of Eden and everything was beautiful. And yeah, I think that's pretty much what every uh, major debate of this nature boils down to. It's creation versus evolution. It's progress versus regression. And uh, I think it's kind of obvious that I'm on the side of evolution in that instance. And it doesn't make it easier to see... Everyone wanting to turn back the clock on a process that uh, you believe is is not only impossible to reverse, but is going to eventually lead to a society of significantly better people at some point in the future. But it it does help you look a little bit more compassionately at that side to realize it's not so much good versus evil with this stuff. It's just two completely polar opposite ways of thinking. It's two attempts to... Uh, build a better human being. Well, 
to me, it's kind of evoking my personal religion, which is the world of comic books. <laughs> Essentially, the big debate is none other than Charles Xavier and Eric Lyncher. It's two opposite schools of thought that essentially agree to disagree on the big core, but also oppose that on opposite ends. They want good. They want, intrinsically, humanity to move forward, but they don't want it to happen in the same way. And so, their belief of what actually is forward momentum is drastically different, which, I mean, that's where the struggle in the debate actually lies, because... It's not as if they want to just say, okay, it's not as if one side wants to decry the other and say that, okay, we're just going to do the opposite of you because we want to fuck up humanity. That's not what they want to do at all. It's just that they believe that their way is the right course towards salvation, the right course towards, you know, being better. Like, those are the two things. It's like you name it one thing as divine salvation, and you also name it another thing, which is just becoming more evolved. You want to essentially reach the same endpoint, but the journey there is just completely polar opposite and like holding a mirror up to yourself. Um, in your analogy with X-Men, does that mean the Whisperer of Baptist Church or the Morlocks? Uh, I would say they're like mo- Mojo. Well, not Mojo. <laughs> they hunt people for sport, yeah. No, uh, they're the be, friends of humanity. Yeah, they're the friends of humanity. I would definitely say that uh, – what's the Westboro Baptist Church due to was like – Fred Phelps is basically, I mean, let's face it, he's Stryker. He's William Stryker. <laughs> Evan- Evangelist William Stryker, not the uh, not the movie version. Uh, so I would like to see uh, Brian Cox in the Whisperer Baptist Church movie. So. Wolverine! Well, I, it is funny how you mentioned comic books, because on something I was going to say earlier, which is, like on my whole like thing about everyone needing uh, their own faith of you know, whatever shape or size fits them, like my faith is art. Like that's the thing I cling to. That's the thing that gives my life meaning and definition. And it's the thing that I go to for knowledge and I go to for comfort. And I've had a kind of a re- revelation over the past few years because I like in my younger days was way angrier towards religion. I was uh, flat out hateful about it, just as kind of a knee-jerk reaction to growing up below the Bible Belt. Yes, it took four years to <laughs> reach this moment. It, it's fitting, because this is the season two finale, essentially. <laughs> but yeah, it's... I had a lot of hatred for religion that really clouded my judgment and kind of choked a lot of compassion out of me that I, by all rights, should have had. But I think we've been able to let go of that for the most part over the past few years by kind of realizing, yeah, there's really not a whole lot of difference between someone turning to the Bible for wisdom and comfort and me, you know, turning to a Kurt Vonnegut book for the same thing. The only difference between the two is there aren't a lot of people like gunning people down over their favorite book. <laughs> Cat's Cradle is the best book ever, and then the suicide bomber blows up. But and that just goes back to what I was saying about safe religion. It's like, yeah, there's nothing at all wrong with being a religious person. I don't find that a character flaw in any way. Like I said, I think that's part, just part of how the human brain is wired, and I can't make too passionate an argument that the thing that comforts me is objectively more 
righteous and more dignified and more valid than what you draw comfort from. But I believe that a line just kind of has to be drawn. Religion, I believe, for most people in this country, despite what it looks like sometimes, is in its place. Like, religion, for most people, is just religion. It's the little box in the corner of their head that they go to whenever they need to, but it doesn't rule their lives. But, as is always the case, every group gets represented by their zealots, and zealots can be very powerful. And we've seen, you know, the neoconservative takeover of this country over the past few decades, where a relatively small group of people have been allowed to uh, change the subject of discourse. And that has a ripple effect backwards, where the people who I think would normally be less extreme and would practice safe religion occasionally act out of character to who they truly are just because of that prodding. And I feel like if the temperature were lowered on that just a little bit, like if we all just kind of took that down a peg as a people, then people would, if you pardon the small pun, listen to their better angels on that. Like, I don't feel like religion is something that's inherently corrupting. I think religion is something that could go either way in every religious person. It's just the outside forces that switch it on in the bad way, if that makes any sense. I think that my religious philosophy could be summed up succinctly in the words that a black lady once told me. I'll do me, you do you. That's really what we're trying to say here on Below the Bible Belt. And also, I did create a religion called American Neo-Paganism, so I'll <laughs> explain that later. Uh, essentially, it's Greek mythology, but with American figures in the place of the gods. Well, I think we can all get behind that. Like George Washington, Zeus, uh, Paul Revere's Hermes, uh, Alexander Hamilton's Apollo, and uh, I don't know. I've got, a, I've got, I've got a PowerPoint, guys. I will show it to you next time. Book fifty-one, uh, pyramid scams, or no, book fifty-one, cults. So that's what I'm gonna do this summer. In addition to the sixteen other things I'm doing, I'm gonna either join or start a cult. Nah, you'll leave it to a twin cost. You'll know when they when you see me on the news when the ATF raided the compound. That's gonna happen no matter what you do, Matt. <laughs> and wherever you go with this cult, just know that there's a chance that you'll see a man in a bat suit <laughs> coming after you a day later. <laughs> And that person may be me. Bring it on. I've always wanted, I've always wanted an arch nemesis. I've never had one. So maybe you could be my arch nemesis. Uh, I will say as a tag up to what I was saying earlier, uh, this past week has seen, uh, comic book creators receiving death threats over a Captain America story. So what I said earlier about people not threatening death over their favorite books, I completely rescind that. No, we're, we're just as bad. I saw someone just, uh, 30 minutes ago, a video of someone burning the Captain America comic book. Because he's a Nazi, so let's do the thing the Nazis did. <laughs> uh, and on that note, I think it's probably time for us to close up shop, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about, Alex? No, not really. I just kind of wanted to say that, you know, my sentiments on religion basically boil down to the same thing. It's like, Matt pretty much said it very simply and very eloquently in that I know he was making a joke, but yeah. I'm serious just, about that. I'm dead serious, Alex. I do me, you do you. Done. We'll do each other. I'm, that's my next tattoo. <laughs> Somewhere on my body, I'll put I'll do me, you do you. The placement of that tattoo is critical, Matt. You know what? I think I can agree with that. I think we've met a, an actual compromise. 
broadcast my message to the world. As the starch agnostic and the agnostic leading towards atheism and the nihilist slash neo historyist uh, or no, whatever, whatever the hell you said. American neo-paganism. Get it right. Uh, All right. Uh, I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're affecting my religion. Don't make me have to suicide bomb you. All right. Because I'm a radical American neo-paganism. Listen, listen. Technically, it's Matt, a radical religion Matt. because I'm the only one, so. Listen, Matt. Have you heard the good news? About history, I have. And until the South rises again, I have been James. I've been Matt. And I have been the good news. And we'll see you again soon below the Bible Belt. Oh no, it's Sparlock! Caleb! We need someone to save us! Caleb! Sparlock can activate the magic, Sparlock! Hi! How was school today? Fine. Look at Sparlock's magic Caleb! What toy is that? It's Sparlock, the warrior wizard! Whoa! A warrior wizard! Yeah, my friend gave it to me! All the kids are going to see the movie! Can I see it too? Oh, your friend gave this to you. Hmm. You look pretty excited about this. Why don't you come over here and get your snack, okay? Is this toy magical? Mm-hmm. Caleb, who likes magic? Jehovah or Satan? Satan. Right. Magic is bad. That's why Jehovah hates it. Do you really want to play with something that Jehovah hates? Do you remember who we learned about at family worship? Who is this? Adam and Eve. Right. Did they obey Jehovah? No, they disobeyed Jehovah. And he got very sad. So what if you disobey Jehovah and play with toys he doesn't like? Do you think Jehovah will be happy or sad? Sad. Yeah. Do you want Jehovah to be sad? No! I don't want Jehovah to be sad with me. No, I don't want Jehovah to be sad with you either. So what do you think you should do with this toy? Caleb, I am so proud of you. You made Mommy very happy. And you know who else is happy? Jehovah! Yes! Jehovah loves you very much for obeying him, Caleb. <gasps> hey, you know what I want to do? What? I want to go ride bikes! Yay! Let's go! This has been a Pulp Podcast production. As we all know, Superman arrived on Earth in a space rocket long ago, when he was Super Baby. The Man of Steel has always thought he was the sole survivor of the tragic catastrophe that destroyed his home world, Krypton. But fate has many strange twists. For this is not an ordinary tale of Superman, but the launching of a new member of our super family. So, without further ado, 
we take pride in introducing... Great guns! I seem to see a youngster, flying, dressed in a super costume. It must be an illusion. Look again, Superman! It's me, Supergirl! And I'm real! The Supergirl Power Hour. A monthly look at the Maid of Might. <laughs>